Obadiah Aiton. Thank you very much for joining us today, sir. We really, really appreciate it. And, you know, kind of going through, we'll, we'll get into your story. We'll get into kind of, you know, the, the meat of what we're about to talk about shortly. But the one thing that I really love about your LinkedIn uh, feed is one of the things that keeps coming up is camels. Now, obviously in the UK and, you know, the rest of the kind of, you know, world um there's a lot of talk about unicorns and you were very much talking about camels um which is brilliant tell us a little bit about the concept of being a camel as opposed to being a unicorn first of all thank you very much for having me and um yeah so jumping straight into the camel analogy um i think the middle east because it's only become you know relevant to the rest of the world in the really the last three years since the pandemic um the camel was seen as a big ugly creature you know, it smells, it's not that attractive. And the unicorn is a, you know, a mystic creature, beautiful, rainbow-colored, you know, horn. There was a complete indifference. Now, we are trying to think of the strengths that we have here. And we're seeing ourselves as resilient. And a camel is just that. You know, they they sit in the desert, you know, they survive on little water and food. Um, they live longer than unicorns, supposedly, if unicorns were somewhat real. Um, and the analogy I just brought into the business world, because as the West you know, is struggling with a certain financial crisis, the Middle East is you know, holding true. We have no banks failing here. Um, a lot of the world is moving here for lifestyle. Um, small businesses are getting funded here. There's no slowdown. So I use the analogy straight into the business concept i mean when a when a storm comes camels typically run to it because they enjoy the storms it's something that they're not used to but typically a unicorn i can tell you that if a storm comes you know they're running in the opposite direction so it was really using both creatures putting it into the business world and it got a lot of traction as you can imagine yeah no, absolutely we'll definitely get into as i said more more detail about that but first let's kind of touch on yourself and if you could just give us a little bit of a rundown i know it's difficult to kind of put a career such as yours into a short snippet shall we say but just give us a little bit more context about yourself and kind of where your journey started up till now very good um so Ayton, uh in this country i'm known as obeda which is an arabic name uh i started off uh learning accounting in america so I left my home in the UK to go and study America, uh, study accounting abroad. Um, I was lucky. I carried a golf bag uh, for a gentleman at the weekend, and he decided to employ me as an accountant. Uh, slowly and steady, I moved back to the UK uh, because my visa ran out and I couldn't get it extended in the US. So joined again, met another gentleman on the golf course. There's a recurring theme here. Uh, I ended up working for another big family office under a German entrepreneur. Um, learned more about the buy side. I mean, as a, as a family office, uh, they weren't really investors. They were more buyers. They either bought a company or they didn't and had a majority uh, control. So it, it taught me a lot about the investment analyst side of things um, and then decided to come out to the Middle East because I wanted to uh, to build build my own, uh, except I didn't have any money. So uh, I had to build companies to, to build that, that wealth. Um, so built a few initial businesses. Uh, one was an accounting company. One was a media company. Um, then I moved into logistics, F&B, events. A bit of everything you know not all at the same time uh, stagnated and the reason why i have a lot of experience with the uk 
is because we still have an operational accounting company there with my brother. So I, 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 I'm definitely good friends with HMRC uh, and the FCA. I keep up to date with all their you know, movements. Um, so yeah, so we're a holding company. Outside of that, when we generate enough cash, we invest in startups. Um, it's not very, I would say, sophisticated. We're not a full-blown uh, you know, investment group. We're a holding company, and when we have money, we spend it wisely and um, we normally do that with people we like um, so most recently a business in the agriculture space that i really am passionate about given that we've got cop 28 coming here at the end of the year i think it's time to to put my money to uh, to save the world and be more sustainable so that's a that's a short synopsis about me i'm based in based in the uae for the last uh, just over four years okay excellent and and what kind of drew you to the uae in the first place what what was that good question so it's hard to not look at the lifestyle. Now, the Middle East is quite intimidating. It's a desert. Uh, you think there's not much to do here. But when you come here, like anything, you you fit into the culture. Tax was a huge advantage. You know, in England and other developed countries, we pay a lot of tax. I, I call this place a... Imagine having Amazon Prime, but you don't pay for Prime. When you're going through and picking your films, uh, you have to pay for them one by one. Now, in the UK, it's like Netflix. You're subscribed into the system. Um, there's no way of getting out. And even if you don't like anything on Netflix, you still wait there waiting for the next series to come. It's kind of a bit of a trap. So I see myself here, and the attraction was, is I could pay for what I consume. So it was, it was really a, a, a country of choice. I can come here. I can do as I please. I can set up a business. I can operate. I pay no tax. And I get to pick what I consume healthcare, uh, schools, all these types of things. So I call it a new platform for a little bit of freedom. Um, and I can speak to China in the morning and I can speak to America in the evening. There's not many places in this planet where you can do that. So I think all of the above, plus it's an emerging market. Uh, all the Islamic laws changed during the pandemic. Um, it became a lot more flexible for a, uh, a foreign owner or an expat to live here. Um, so yeah, that, they were the biggest attractions. And I also wanted to see if I could be a bit of a leader here because it was an emerging market. We have our, you know, our ruler, our, our conglomerate families that have been here since the birth of the country. But in the tech space, and I'm sure we'll touch on this, there still isn't a huge amount of leaders here. We don't have a long line of list of CVs of these unicorns as such as what we call camels here. Um, so yeah, there's lots to come and lots of opportunity. So I saw that. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, as we've already touched on your context of knowing the UK markets and obviously knowing a lot about the, the UAE now is going to come in really handy. So let, let's kind of first start with something that, again, you talk about a lot on your LinkedIn. Um, and it's something that people may not quite fully understand in the rest of the world, but there's a lot of talk of family offices. Could you just kind of break down the kind of system that you, you have in the UAE as far as uh, family offices go? Yes. So let's be very transparent here on this podcast. So a family office in the UAE is a bit of a buzzword. It, it does exist, but it's different. It's, it's, it's this thing called this family group or family holding. Now, the, the difference is massive. In the UK, if you made loads of money, you put a big chunk of change in a different account as such or a fund and you get some really clever guys from Goldman Sachs to manage it and make more money on that money 
because otherwise it would just sit there and do nothing or I'll buy you know a bunch of cars or houses, right? So that is a family office. It's a proper sophisticated engine. It has a mandate from its principal to go and invest in things and make money, not correlated to the day-to-day -day business. That is the definition of a family office, right? And there's a lot more complex stuff to it. Lawyers, accountants, it's very expensive. <laughs> it's not something you, you, you want to get into unless you've got a, quite a bit of cash. Now, family holdings or known as family offices out here are different. They are a ginormous holding structure where dad or granddad owns it and it's split into segments, yeah, where certain family members have portions of the business, but really there's normally a single uh, shareholder. Now, all of these businesses are still operational. So you may have exposure to mining and minerals, oil and gas, real estate, um, financial technologies, you name it. A very broad, all of them have broad, diverse industries. Now, when they generate enough cash and there's cash left over, typically families would invest in other things from the holding company. So that's why a lot of families here have been very good at private equity because they'll go out and buy another company or acquire another company for their portfolio. Now, the one thing which was very new to them was venture capital investing. So imagine a ginormous holding company. Money is everywhere. You don't know where the liquidity is. So when a, a shiny startup comes to your doorstep and says, we're one of the fastest growing companies in the UK. We've got this guy and this group on our cap table, big names, and we want your money. Why? Because of this, 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 and this. The problem you have is a lot of these Emirati groups <laughs> It would take them months to find out how to get that money into one place because they don't know where to get it from. So this corporate structure is a little bit of a mess. So this is why when I always say on LinkedIn, it a lot of what you do has to kind of complement what they're existing or that what's currently existing. So if I'm a UK business and I want to raise money from the Middle East, I want to raise the money from a UK family that has you know a big name here. Now you need to go with the approach of saying, Mr. Family Office, I have a product that can service one of your portfolio companies. Right, tick. Now, once you've built a relationship with them, then you can say, we're raising growth capital on our holding company back in the UK. We would love you to be a partner. Now, if he's obviously seen the, the talent of your business, you, your team, of course, he's going to figure out a way to invest in you. But it's the kind of panic and the rush of running to the UAE because they've got loads of money here and saying, we're raising money and we want you to be part of it. What you don't see behind the lines is they are not a typical family office. They're a family holding. So you have to kind of work with them. So I think hopefully that under, uh, explains the structure and why maybe some UK businesses have come over here and struggled. You just have to explain, understand the structure and it'll better understand your approach to them. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's really, really good context, and I'm sure you know people who are looking at doing exactly that, um, you know, could definitely use. And you know, there is recession on the horizon. Um, we've kind of been teetering on it in the UK for a long time now. So you know, the UAE has become this real key destination for people looking for investment. But you know, obviously, like you mentioned, like families involved, and obviously, business trust is a very big thing. So. How have you found the kind of, you know, the, the the family offices kind of opening up to that investment and people kind of running to, you know, the UAE just because, you know, times are tough in the rest of the world, effectively? I've seen a lot. 
Now, the population here is not ginormous. You know, we're still not London or the UK. So if you've got a B2C product, I wouldn't be running here to come and launch it because there's not a huge amount of consumers. Now, money and capital is the lifeline and the blood of any startup. You know, if you're not getting it from your local community, I mean, what do you do? So I think the the, the best, I would say, wording and and two cents I can give on is is if you are interested in coming to this part of the world it's really be serious about it don't think of it as a quick win um, because they are growing and sending money back to the UK economy right now is not the best idea but at the same time the UAE has been working with the UK for hundreds of years in a nice way The the UAE used to use a lot of the British you know, military forces back in the day of when it was full of tribes around here. And then over the years, a lot of the professionals that we see here today who are local Emirati went to study in the UK. They went to do their military service. A lot of London is owned by Middle East that a lot of people don't know, you know, a lot of the real estate. So they love the UK. So when a, when a lovely, uh, you know, male or female founder comes to the UAE, and says we're a leading business in the UK, you're already off to a good start in a nice way, more more, more so than other countries because of the history the countries have. So I'd say there's lots possible here, but when you are looking here, it's got to be more than just we're thinking about it. You kind of have to come with more of, you know, we've done this research, we've potentially got, you know, some leads and things like this. It's It's serious, it's happening, because from this side of the table, we need to be able to feel it. So yeah, lots of opportunity and life is good. It's it's geopolitically, we're very neutral here. Um, we don't have to worry about banks failing. Um, and the UK is a lovely place. I think anybody who's lived there or, or been born there, you, you want to go back. But for, for the new generation um, and the people who are starting their own businesses, I mean, what a platform out here and what an opportunity. Yeah, no, definitely. And I know, I know it's a difficult question to ask because it is very much on a, on a case-by-case basis. But have you kind of noticed with the companies that are going over to the UAE, if there's necessarily a sweet spot for a company size to, to really gain that investment or is it quite a broad yes. spectrum? Yes, good. No, that's a very good question. So imagine going to your neighbor in the UK and saying, I've started a business. I've bought vegetables from Waitrose. I've put it in a box and I'm now selling it to the rest of the village and everyone's buying it because it's organic. It's presented nicely. And I've now got 10 customers in the village. I now would like to know if you, you would be a customer. Now the business itself is not hugely profitable, but you've got customers locally who believe in you. Now your neighbor's going to go and speak to those people in the village you know, when they're walking around or going to the local pub and they're going to get a reference from you and say, yeah, this is pretty good actually. You know, it's a little bit expensive, but we like it. So the model is proven in your local market. And then your neighbors said, okay, I'm going to give you 50 grand of cash because I believe in you. So I would say any business that has taken money from the local community, it has clients in the local local community it's a proven concept that it works. Now, size is the tough question. What size that has to be, I don't know. All I'm saying is it can't be 
something that is not MVP and proven with customers. You're going to struggle to get this country to believe in you if the local country hasn't believed in you. So forgetting about size, but also focusing more on proving your concept and actually getting the local population to back you. If it's a few hundred grand, fine. A lot of companies have bootstrapped companies. I get that. And you don't want to raise money because you're going to dilute yourself. So it's not about raising money. It's about saying, I have a product in the UK. It works. And we want to pick it up and we want to put it in the UAE. So at the moment, being very like selfish on this market, they're holding a lot of cards. They're, they're generating good income from, from oil and other types of you know, fossil fuels, trade. It, it, life is okay here. The sovereign wealth is, is, is pretty good. So they hold a lot of the cards. So when they want to give you money, they're going to want something in return. So if I'm a UK founder, I have a proven concept in the UK. We're not profitable yet. Okay. But you're growing. We're showing year-on-year growth. You're coming to the UAE to say, we want to replicate or find or use you to help us find customers, you know, other banks, um, the ports, the airports, whoever your customers are. And then you build the relationship to try and filter money back to the UK. So I would say the standard is it could be a, a mature seed, an early Series A. And another thing is, just to finish, is pricing. Now, you're entering a country that doesn't have a lot of history in pricing. So if you're coming in looking for somebody to validate your business, this is probably not the best country. Now, it's not that they can't. It's just it would take forever. Or you're going to get PwC. It costs a fortune. You can't afford it. They're going to value you. It's going to be less than what you think is a founder. Not a good idea. So I would say to summarize, your business needs to have a proven concept in your hometown. It needs to be backed by local people to prove that people have believed in you. Then on the investment side, you would need some type of pricing. Um, if you don't, you have to find a way to price yourself in the local community. That's that's really, really interesting. And, and again, kind of linked to that a little bit is, you know, in, in the UK and in the US especially, probably more in the US, there's a lot of uh, kind of tech companies, we'll come on to tech a little bit more locally, but a lot of tech companies who are, as you mentioned, kind of pre-revenue, which is normally fine, but these valuations are absolutely crazy. Um, you know, there's so, there's so many examples of them really being, you know, massively overvalued. What, what is the kind of attitude in, in the UAE to that kind of crazy valuation? Do people kind of see through it or they just like find it a, a little bit of a joke? Well, they again, go back to the camel and unicorn analogy. Our local startups here are not expensive. Why? Because we don't have the population. You can't exactly wow us with all this data because we know. <laughs> I mean, if you've got a B2C company that does uh, home maintenance, we know the population size. We can figure out the uh, your financial forecast and really work out that you're probably only going to be, be worth 30 million maximum by capturing the whole of like the GCC population, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Oman, Bahrain, you name it. So it makes our life easier. The problem we have in uh, UK, your market may be Europe or the US, so it's harder to get those data points. Um, valuation is coming down. It was always overpriced since the pandemic. Um, we had a lot of, I would say, 
uneducated uh, investment in growth stock. People were jumping on the opportunity to to pull money to actual money in 18 months um why wouldn't you we're all human we all want to make money in business that's what we do so over here in the middle east we have i mean if you spoke to let's say some of the institutions most of the guys you're talking to are from europe asia america anyway so they are well educated um the family groups are getting there I would say if you if you Google a family called Ajlan and Bros, A-J-L-A-N and Bros, um, you'll see that their chief investment officer is now Chinese. So things are changing here uh, for the good, and they're becoming wiser. So coming in with a big valuation, um, I'll give you an example there. A friend owns a big IoT company in America. They're backed by Intel Capital. Great name. They went over to ADQ, which is one of our sovereign wealth funds. And ADQ said, we like it, but we're looking for better value businesses. You're quite expensive. So as I said, that gives you an example of they are smart and sophisticated here and everybody's looking for a good deal. So coming in here with something still quite highly valued, I wouldn't say you're going to get somebody that you're going to fool. No. Yeah, but definitely. And, you know, sticking on that tech kind of theme, but, you know, you personally have chatted on many, many tech summits that have been throughout the UAE and and, and the rest of the Middle East, too. What what is, the, what is the tech scene like throughout the Middle East? I mean, it seems very, very exciting. They seem to be getting really behind it. But just give us a little bit of a flavor of kind of, you know, the exciting things that, that are going on there. So Saudi Arabia is bigger than the UAE. So I think they're, they're welcoming everybody from any industry with open arms um, because they still need to develop their country. Uh, like in Riyadh, the capital, there's, there's one main road in and one main road out, and it's just pure chaos. So they still need to build infrastructure. So I think they're open to a lot of things. They're spending money. Uh, <laughs> they even bought the most expensive football player on the planet. Why not, right? <laughs> so... The UAE is a bit more specific. Um, energy, 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 and sustainability. Why we've got COP28 coming? I think the country wants to build a very good image around sustainability, looking after the planet. So energy transition. So all, for all of you in the UK in the energy space, this is a great place. Um, they've used British engineering for many years to build uh, the electric system, the piping system, the waterworks, everything. That's all British engineering. So they trust it. So for all of you in the, in clean tech, green tech, energy efficiency, types of uh, renewable energies, waste management, of course, this place is going to take you very seriously. Number two would be agriculture. We could tap into vertical farming, food security programs. I mean, as a desert, we don't exactly uh, produce a lot of agriculture, but we want to. So anybody who can make lab-based uh, opportunities. I know the Mubadala invested quite a lot into British patient capital, which is a big you know, UK-based, uh, I would say, government-run fund uh, to improve the life science sector. Um, financial technologies, I think it's quite inflated globally. There's a lot of financial technologies, but we still need quite a bit of help here. I'm still paying office rent with checks. I have to write out six checks and hand them over and they cash them in every two months. <laughs> so we are still in the stone age in certain things. Um, logistics, 
big one. Uh, these softwares that save time and money. I mean, we are logistics hub of the world now. Uh, ports, airports, uh, even roads now. Um, so any anybody in that space. Uh, probably I could touch on a lot of other subjects. I would say, um, again, medical technologies, the R&Ds, uh, R&D centers are getting bigger here. Um, we have some of the best brands here. Healthcare is great here. Again, because we we have a lot of oversupply of hospitals, so so you can see a theme. Um, I would say we're open open to most things, but it's more B two B and B two G, B two C stuff. Again, why would you come here unless you're trying to go you're from UK? You're trying to get into Southeast Asia. Um, the population you're setting up here as a platform. I would say that's good for B two C, but actually to go after the B two C market here, join the queue of many others. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I, I think I know I keep plugging your LinkedIn feed, but it is genuinely very, very good for anyone who's considering expanding into the UAE and, and the Middle East. It's it's a very, very good indication of what's really happening on the ground. And something that like really stood out to me and something that you did you put up recently was you said that Dubai is more B2C and Abu Dhabi is more B2B, which I don't think many people no. would know. So that's quite a nice little kind of local hack, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so Abu Dhabi likes big stuff. Um, they have all the sovereigns and the corporates. And I've been working with the Department of Economic Development in Abu Dhabi, which is one of the government sectors, um, trying to figure out how to help the SMEs, the small, the small people. Um, we've just launched, well, I say we, the government just launched Weo Bank, which is the first Neo Bank. We can finally set up a business bank account in a, in a couple of days when it used to take nearly months. Um, semi finance is becoming easier to to, to gain, um, and other lo lots of other incentives. So Abu Dhabi is trying. Um, more venture capital funds are setting up in Abu Dhabi Global Markets, which is our I would say our most regulated uh, area in the whole of the UAE, where all the big names are setting up. Um, and that's where all the banks are. Um, it's where all the big kind of holding companies are, corporates for hospitality, real estate. So that's why I say it's B2B. That's where all the decision makers are. Dubai is where people come and have a, they eat, they sleep uh, in nice brands. Um, a lot of people like all the e-commerce technologies here, the delivery services, um, so, so you get the theme. So they're more likely to, the venture capital funds in Dubai are more likely to invest in B2C because they, they've got it all around them. And Abu Dhabi is more likely to invest in the B2B stuff. So that's kind of where it came from. Any discussion around the, the Middle East, you know, has to come with the negative uh, perceptions that people have. Of course. Um, you know, we'll, we'll touch on some of them. So Amnesty International, for example, they are big on kind of pointing out these, such as the freedom of expression with the media being censored and various things not being allowed there. Obviously, LGBTQ rights. Um, and I mentioned, uh, or you mentioned already about COP28, but yeah, the, the, the failure to tackle the climate crisis. Now, kind of in, in the country, is there a little bit of frustration that like people don't look into the good work that they're doing? How is that? I know, as you mentioned, during the pandemic, things have changed, but you know, how, how are they trying to kind of fix this this worldview that people may have of the region? Very good question. Um, I mean, being an expat and living here for the last four years, um, a lot changed in the pandemic. And I think this was a matter of, you know, the world has stopped still. 
and we need to change to be better to make more friends um to be more international so since then dubai has doubled in size i'm using dubai as an example because they were the ones to really open up their arms to the rest of the world now around the world cup and qatar there was a lot about the uh, lg you name it i don't really want to go into it too much but all i'm saying is you don't see it here <laughs> Like when you come here, there's nothing like you can do in a nice way. You're free in Dubai. You're free. There's nobody telling you what you can do. Just respect the culture, respect the country. We don't litter. We don't shout. We don't. If you want me to be brutally honest, there's it's kind of like this public affection. Um, everyone was a bit scared. Do I hug? Do we kiss each other on the cheek? It's fine. You can hold hands. Really. It's just with. Everybody knows it's within um, certain limitations that you just don't step over the line, right? But don't get me wrong. Dubai is now New York. It's international. There's 200 different cultures here. Most things go, just respect the local law, the religion, and you're good to go. And it's, 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 it's a free, free country. Now, Saudi Arabia is catching up. Don't get me wrong. They're... We have to respect that they are a country that's only really starting to open up to the world. They're going to have their own laws, their own views on life, um, but they're trying. And I think the the, the British, um, I would, we don't ever admit it, but we were one of the biggest invaders of many countries hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago. And we changed. You know, we we now welcome so many people to the UK. So you have to give countries time. They're trying. And with all the press, there was a recent article which I thought was horrendous from actually a very good publication um, saying, be careful of dirty money from the Middle East. Right. Very touchy subject. But it's and then they were signifying VC, dirty VC money, even though VCs raise money from LPs. So the VCs are now seen as, you know, it's like, hang on a second, guys. <laughs> We've taken money from somebody else. We're investing it on their behalf. Don't put the finger at us. But I'm laughing at this because it's it's you can read what you can read, and it's never the same on the ground. Um, the internet can do whatever it seems. Um, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You can read whatever you want to read. But all I'm saying is this country... And this part of the world, they may have had some indifferences in the past, but they are trying so hard to be different. It's hard to change a book, uh, which is the Quran and the laws around that. But they are trying. So can you see what what's happening? It's, it's not going to flip overnight. But it's going back to the Dirty Money article. It's... I think with with America having its struggles with the financial crisis and everybody now running this way, they're saying, hang on a second, let's remember the past. And that's always going to come up, no matter where you go. So I think to summarize your question, there is a lot of good. And I, this is what I try and promote on LinkedIn. There is a lot of good. And the cult, the, 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 the local Emiratis or the Saudi nationals are embracing other people coming to try and help them change. And that won't, again, happen overnight. And But we also have to respect that they have a culture, they have a religion, which isn't ours. We weren't born here. So we have to find a medium. 
I think that's enough. No, I, I, I agree. Because, I mean, during the, the World Cup, we ran a, a lot of coverage about the, you know, the, the, the sport washing article uh, for, or view that a lot of people had. But, you know, the reality is, you know, the, the same fund that's behind Live Golf, for example, also were one of the major early investors in Uber. So does that mean people aren't going to take Ubers anymore? Like, where do you where do you draw the line? It is it is difficult. And there's concerns, you know, fairly, you know people people have their own concerns, but that makes complete sense. But I mean, as far as kind of your time there, so you've said you've been there for about four years now. How, how much has it changed actually on the ground? Are you quite blown away when you think about when you first kind of arrived there and to what it is now? Yeah, so laws laws have changed, religions changed, and I've seen that more since, the, as I said, the pandemic. So really, in the last three years, uh, I can own one hundred percent of my company. Um, banking is easier, and actually, the biggest thing that's coming in twenty nine days is we have corporation tax coming for the first time ever in this country. And why is that so important? Well, it's going to finally clean up this issue around banking. I mean, everyone has their views that the Middle East was a place for moving money. And the there was two weeks ago, there was this property company called Union Properties. Um, the chairman was an Emirati gentleman um, and he got done for financial fraud. So for the first time ever, uh, you know, the government are making a statement to say that it doesn't matter who you are we're doing the right thing. We're in our regulated environment. Um, KPMG, one of the big four, just got fined for doing inefficient accounting, uh, again, by the, the, the local courts. So corporate tax, which is being implemented in 28 days, will change this country. And we will be, we'll move up again, slowly in the banking uh, listings. Uh, I do believe in Europe, you know, we're still on the blacklist here. Um, because ever since the war, uh, a lot of Russians came here because they had nowhere else to go in the world. And again, geopolitically, the UAE is a is a free place. We have no ties or no issues with the world. Um, so as I said, I think a lot's changed and guys are leaving big jobs. I have a friend who's just left Goldman Sachs in London and set up an investment club out here um, because he sees the opportunity. So I think it's it's like if you have an idea and you're scared or if you're bored in the UK, you know, it's a bit miserable. People just see this place, even if it's for a year, just to kind of, if you have a thought, it's kind of let's run with it. So a lot's changed and I can't compliment it enough, but it, 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 it has its own challenges. As I told you, it's still on the blacklist for banking in Europe, um, but I'm sure they'll overcome it. They're only 50 years old. Uh, every other country in the world is a lot older and you just have to give it a bit more time. No, that's it. And again, that's really, really key context, I think, for people to to realize is how much things have changed in what is a relatively short space of time. And those are those are big changes that are being made. Thanks for that, Obi. And, you know, as far as kind of securing talent, that's obviously a big uh, issue that a lot of companies are having in the UK. As far as kind of businesses in the UAE, how are they finding securing talent? Um, and is a lot of it kind of being brought in, a lot of people being tempted, like you said, by the lifestyle and by uh, by by what the UAE has to offer? So yeah, let's talk about jobs, right? There's probably a lot of people who may watch this and think, oh, I'm looking for a new opportunity, a change of life. So salaries, 
they're bigger out here. Let's just be honest. Uh, the only way you're going to attract somebody to come out to the desert is by offering them more money. So there's a chance that you're going to keep more of your income due to income tax. I said there's corporate tax. There's no income tax. That's only for business owners. Um, so that's number one. Money, money's money. We we always move in jobs for if somebody's going to offer you more money. We are going to consider it at least, depending on your loyalty and your long-term commitment to any business. Um, number two is job security. Job security out here, the laws, again, have got so much better around that. Most companies are set up in international free zones under international law, which was either wrote by the FCA or the MAS in Singapore. So job security, again, don't be worried that you're going to be thrown out on the street after a couple of days and there's no legal protection. That's wrong. Um, all the free zones here are international regulators, as I said, the Brits were the one that wrote the law for a lot of these international free zones. So job security is another one. And in terms of long term, being honest, I see, I can see clearly the next 10 years here. Uh, in the UK, I'm not sure I can see what's going to happen at the end of the year at this point. And again, I love the UK. I'm going to move back there, retire like Jeremy Clarkson, own his own farm somewhere up in the Cotswolds. That's my dream, and it always will be my dream. But for work, for young business owners, for growing companies, you want to be part of a platform that you can see yourself moving forward. So this is where I see that. And, yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm trying to pump it up as much, but I don't want to slate the UK. I, I, I love the place. The talent there is, and the UK is a talent pool, right? So a UK-based, like I have my accounting company, I have Jordanian guys uh, uh, and, and ladies from Lebanon and other places like this. They want to work for a UK business. Why? Because it's from the UK. They, they kind of tell me, I don't understand it. And they're like, Obi, I want to work for a UK company. I'm like, okay, what's so big about that? They're like, that's where all the professionals are. So what people don't realize in the UK, just working in the UK on your CV is such a big thing because it's such a regulated environment. So coming out here from the UK, you can get good opportunities and you'll be taken very seriously. Now, if you're a business owner and coming out here to find talent, now this is the big thing. You have a lot of choice. You have India next to you. You have Pakistan, some of the best software developers. and again. Yes, they're cheaper, right? I don't want to get into the geopolitics of, you know, underserviced labor. It's more about you're giving them a job that they don't typically have. And you're moving to the UAE, you're going to Pakistan rather than going to Eastern Europe or other parts for good developers. You're going to an emerging market, you're giving income to the economy, you're actually helping that country grow. And this is where I think Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, there's 2 billion people just in those two countries. Right. If you are looking for talent, it's there and they're hungry. They want to they want to grow out of Pakistan. So going back to my example with my accounting company is. People want to work for UK businesses, so I don't think you'll be worried about finding talent here. Uh, it's more about. Again, taking it seriously and saying, right, we're now going to operate from this country. Absolutely. And as far as your yourself kind of going forward, you've given a very positive kind of tenure 
kind of runway for the region. But I mean, for yourself, if we like fast forward five years, how excited are you personally about your real, you know, prospect to grow and, and real really be a figure in in the UAE? I made it my mission about a year ago that I wanted to help the Emirati population move away from going to work like dad did or uncle did at Adnoc or one of the big government groups. I wanted them to become entrepreneurs. I wanted them to start their own businesses because they, they all have ideas. The problem is when you have your family and the people around you who go into some of these organizations, it's hard to be that one to take the risk. In the UK, entrepreneurship is a lot more obvious. You have friends, maybe your dad did you know, five or six years of being an entrepreneur. It's something of life. Over here, it, it hasn't really been something. The early entrepreneurs were the ones who built this country. And ever since that, it's it's there's been a delay. So how I see myself is I built a holding company and I focus on the day-to-day things. I, I would love to do deep tech and do all this open AI stuff. And I love it. I'm a consumer of it. But I'm focusing on picking up the breadcrumbs, media, accounting, logistics, F&B, you know, all the things that we have to do on a day-to-day basis. Now, this is this is my washing machine. This is the businesses that will, will do okay. And if I spend more time on them, they'll be bigger. But I don't, right? Now, with the UAE, I want to get the big guys to put more money into the small people. And this is what I'm really trying to do on LinkedIn is, hey, all these big guys with loads of money in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, there's a lot of small businesses here that are very good. You just have to look at us and not be so brainwashed by what's going on in in the West. Now, the good thing is, now the West is, I would say, rather subdued. (laughs) The attention is getting better locally. And again, it's timing. So for the next two or three years, timing is good because there's not much distractions. Um, So as I said, for me, I'm going to grow the holding. Um, I have some friends who thought about setting up a new pre-seed fund here um, to really fund the early stage parts of of the life of a lot of these entrepreneurs. Um, But let's see, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, And uh, I convinced friends, uh, family. As I said, my my brother, I started a business on purpose with him out here so I can have more of his time uh, so he doesn't have a choice. Um, so yeah, I see myself here for the long run. Um, and, uh, but as I said, with a long-term dream of coming back to the UK. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Center to bring you the good news postcard. Obi, your question today comes from Chloe, aged 11. My name is Chloe from Jill Dando News at Cass Batch Primary School Academy. I would like to ask you, what's your favorite sport and why? So, Chloe, my favourite sport, (laughs) I would have to be quite biased here and say my favourite sport is golf. Golf has helped me tremendously. I went to university in America because of golf. Uh, The US government paid for my education because of golf. It allowed me to be a well-rounded human being. I, it taught me to speak to older generations. It taught me etiquette, how to look after the, the world. I know it sounds stupid when you're playing golf, but when you're hitting the ball, you, you take up some of the ground and you go and pick up that ground and you replace it 
back to where it was. So it's quite therapeutic. Now, golf has allowed me to meet so many people. Uh, you're outside uh, in the countryside, you know, you're listening to the wildlife um, and it's a lifelong sport. I can play it to a very old age. So this would be my favorite sport um, and I will play it for the foreseeable future. And it's helped me throughout my life. The hard hitting follow-up would have to be, what is your handicap, I suppose? I am a zero. <laughs> so we've got a scratch. I, uh, Look at you. But honestly, truth, truth be told, it's, um, you could have entrepreneurs who pay all these, you know, 20,000 sponsorships to go to all these big events. Um, just join a club paddles, big here, golf, tennis, and you meet successful business owners. You know, if you have enough time to play golf, it typically means you're a certain person who can take enough time off to play golf. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, very true. That was a, a great question and a, a great answer too. So thank you very much for that, Obi. And, you know, we are business leaders, so we have to ask you the question. Um, what to you makes a great business leader? A great business leader has the ability to get obsessed, get obsessed with what they're pursuing. Um, there's always going to be something that doesn't work. But you, if you have that obsession, you're going to find the solution and you're going to solve a problem. Um, recently, with one of my companies, my accounting company, I had to get it regulated. But the biggest problem for me is I'm a terrible Arabic speaker. So I had to engineer a company where I brought in somebody who spoke Arabic. I had to put them through an exam. And I was taking all the risks, knowing that this, I spent something like, 20,000 pounds before I even knew that the company were even the website could be launched because we had to be uh, under a certain regulation. So yeah, I would say there's obsession and the ability to, to just keep going. Um, if you keep going, nobody can stop you. Um, as I said, if, 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 if you keep going, who's, who's going to be there to say anything else, you just keep going until you get your answer. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, do you have any final words for our audience? Today? Yeah, I. UK innovation is brilliant and it always will be. Uh, some of the minds, uh, education, um, a lot of people are far more intellectual than I am. Um, think of the UAE as a new platform where uh, in the private sector, there's not a lot of leaders. Um, if you see an opportunity, uh, that you can be a leader out here in a certain industry. Um, if you see there's some businesses that you can service, go for it. Um, and and that's it, really. And I, yep, I miss UK innovation. I'm trying to bring more of it here. Yeah, no, I'm sure you'll get plenty of people after listening to this who uh, who take you up on that. That's for sure. And uh, we've plugged it a lot, but where can people kind of follow your journey online and and, and what's your LinkedIn exactly? Yeah, no LinkedIn. Uh, Obadiah Aiton on LinkedIn. Um, I try and put as much free value on there. Uh, I list investors. I mean, it's nothing to me. Uh, I kind of relay what I learn as best as I can um, and give give as much. So yeah, follow me on LinkedIn. That's my best. I don't. I'm not big into the, uh, the other social medias. Uh, I focus on giving back on LinkedIn.